Hi guys, this is Morbid Maddie of Morbid Maddie Podcasts, and this is episode 3. The title is Cases of Demonic Possession. Many people are a firm believer that in their religion, there are certain evils to avoid like the plague, claiming that these otherworldly beings of evil and chaos exist, and some even are in this realm to attach themselves to vessels to do their bidding and for other reasons unknown. But what would you do if you were possessed? I'm here today, alone, and I'll be discussing cases of demonic possession, so please enjoy. Viewer discretion is advised. If you at any time feel uncomfortable with the content being stated to you, please leave the podcast immediately. Murder, rape, and other disturbing things will be spoken of in this podcast. I only want the best for you guys, so please, if you at any time feel uncomfortable with the content being said, please leave the podcast. Annalise was described as intelligent, compassionate, kind, polite, and a deeply religious girl. She was very knowledgeable of the Catholic faith, which she quietly and faithfully put into practice. She once had a happy and normal life, a teen pursuing all of the normal things, just like other young ladies do. But in 1969, when she was 17, things started to change. She began experiencing epileptic seizures and regular convulsions. Medical doctors gave her a diagnosis diagnosis of strong psychosis and temporal lobe epilepsy and treated her at a psychiatric hospital. However, her treatment in the mental facility did not improve her health. Instead, it worsened her depression. By the time she was in her 20s, she'd become intolerant of various religious objects, such as the crucifix. Reports said that her severe depression led to hallucinations, such as seeing demons, hearing voices, and t- would, uh, hearing voices that tell her, that would tell her she was damned and would rot in hell. Despite medications and treatment, her condition worsened and she became suicidal, convincing her family to believe that she may have been possessed by demons. <clears throat> I'm going to take a drink of my um, non-sponsored drink because uh, I'm thirsty and I took like three, four takes of this whole thing. And this is the last one. I know it. This is a good one. Despite medications and treatment, her condition worsened and she became suicidal, convincing her family to believe that she may have been possessed by demons. Because her long-term treatment didn't make her any better, her parents sought religious help and appealed to a Catholic priest for an exorcism, but the priest declined and recommended the continuation of medical treatment. However, after much hesitation, Friar Ernst Alt and Arnold Renz decided to help them after getting permission from Bishop Joseph Stengel in 1975 and performed a secret and performed secret exorcism rites on her for 10 freaking months reports said that in her episodes she would make demonic voices and faces tear her clothes apart eat coal lick her own urine and it is said that the demons lurking inside the girl identified themselves as lucifer cain judas iscariot nero and hitler later annalise began began talking of dying as a martyr and refused to eat towards the end On July 1st, 
1976, at age 23, Annalise Michael died of extreme dehydration and starvation after 67 exorcisms. Though she passed away, the priest claimed that she was finally freed from the demons possessing her because of the exorcism just before her death. Consequently, her parents and the priests involved in the exorcism were charged with negligent negligent homicide and were sentenced to six months in jail, reduced to three years of probation, and a fine case has been cited as an example of a misidentified mental illness, negligence, abuse, and religious hysteria. The Son of Sam and the Demonic Dog in 1976, the people from North America's east side, specifically, New York, were terrorized by a sadist serial killer known as the Son of Sam, or the 44 caliber killer. For more than a year, the killer toyed and led police on a wild goose chase, leaving behind taunting and notes at the gr- leaving behind t- taunting notes at the gruesome crime scenes. Six people were murdered and seven others severely injured in a period known as Summer of Sam. David Berkowitz was finally caught, and he finally confessed to all of the shootings and claimed that he had killed because he was following the orders of a demon. Berkowitz did not admit to being possessed himself, no. However, he claimed that his neighbor's dog was possessed and was the one commanding him to perform these horrible killings. Berkowitz was sentenced to six life sentences, and in the mid-90s, he changed his confession, stating that he had indeed been a member of a secret satanic cult that had inspired and orchestrated the incidents as part of a sacrificial ritual murder. I'm going to take another drink because I'm freaking thirsty and I'm allowed to. Um, Anna Eakland, The Erling Possession. Anna was a 14-year-old girl from Erling, Iowa, who began showing signs of being possessed by demons. She was raised as a Catholic. However, her aunt and father, who were into witchcraft, supposedly often cursed her. Her food was tainted with herbs. Later on, she shunned all religious articles and refused to enter the Catholic Church. In 1912, exorcism rites were performed on her and she was declared healed, quote-unquote. But her father and aunt prayed to Satan for her to continuously be tortured. Within the same year, Eakland had been possessed by many demons, some of whom are said to be the same ones who took over Annalise Michael. In 1928, Eklund once asked again for the church's help. She was living with the nuns in the covenant at the time of the exorcism. Whenever the nuns would bless the food that she was about to eat, she would sense prayers. She would make hissing sounds and get mad at the nuns. She only ate foods which have not, which were not blessed. Witnesses claim that Eklund suddenly had knowledge of st- several different languages that she never knew before. 
Witnesses also stated that Eakland levitated and could climb on walls. She became clairvoyant and usually spat on the priests. Her eyes began to swell and she became so bloated and heavy that she almost broke the iron bed. Finally, after 23 days and three full exorcism rites, the priests finally declared her free from the demons who took possession of her. I'm going to make light of things real quick. Hi guys, I'm Morbid Maddie, here to talk to you about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you to many other places so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other places of your choosing. You can earn money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the app or go to... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Download the app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Michael Taylor and the Demon of Murder. Oh my god. (laughs) Michael Taylor and his wife Christine were residents of a small town called Osset in Great Britain. They were traditional and were very religious. They were even part of a Christian prayer group led by a certain Marie Robinson. Sometime in 1974, Taylor's wife... Christine accused Michael and Marie of having an affair, which both of them denied. Michael Taylor then began shouting obscenities and began acting bizarrely. Witnesses state that he, be, he seemed to be possessed by evil spirits. After several months of his crazy, bizarre behavior, Taylor finally agreed to consult with a priest who performed exorcism rites. The exorcism rites lasted for more than 24 hours. The priests claimed to have removed around 40 demons from Taylor. However, before Taylor left, he was warned that he still had a demonic murderer in his body. And the priests were right. As soon as Taylor came home, he then slaughtered his wife and their dog. After the gruesome murder, after the gruesome murder, he roamed the streets covered in blood. The court, however, pleaded him not guilty due to insanity. Arne Johnson Possession The story of Arne Johnson is one of the more violent cases of demonic possession in recent years. It all started when the Glatzel family moved into a new home. 11-year-old David Glatzel began uh, exhibiting signs of possession such as speaking in tongues and levitating. Priests performed an exorcism 
but it did nothing to free David of the demons. Then David's sister, David's sister's fiance, Arne Johnson, made a terrible mistake. He began to taunt the demons possessing the young boy. Soon after, Arne began acting violent and having strange trances. He was normally a very calm person, so the bouts of anger were frightening to his family and friends. Arne's problems reached their bloody climax when he got into a fight with his landlord, Alan Bono, and stabbed the man to death. Later, he claimed that he had no memory of the cold-blooded murder. I'm gonna burp. I'm gonna wussy burp. All right. Bell Family Possession. In America's pioneer days, the Bell family were the victims of one of history's most controversial cases. Eh. One of history's most controversial cases of demonic possession. The entire family was terrorized by the demon, by not the demon, but the father, John, and the youngest child, Betsy, bore the brunt of the horror. The entity became known as the Bell Witch. The demon would regularly speak through John, claiming to predict future events. It tortured Betsy relentlessly by slapping her, pulling her hair, leaving marks on her body, John eventually died after the demon claimed it was going to poison him. The family believed that the demon was responsible for John's death. After John died, the family eventually stopped experiencing the presence of the entity. The case of the Bell family is well known because of the speculation as to the cause of the possession. Some say that the family was cursed or that the land on which they had built their home was cursed. Others believed that a family member, such as John himself, had been sexually abusing Betsy and thus earned the demon's wrath. Roland Doe Possession. The Exorcist is one of the most popular Hollywood movies about exorcism. It is said to be inspired by the tale of Roland Doe, or Robbie Manheim, the most wicked among the stories of demonic possession. In fact, Roland Doe was a pseudonym given to him by the Catholic Church to protect the family's privacy. Sometime in the late 1940s, Doe's aunt gave him a Ouija board to use. After his aunt's death, Doe used the Ouija board to contact her, but instead, it became a channel for demons to possess him. Strange sounds such as dripping water, unexplained footsteps, and scratching noises gripped their household. Later on, religious icons began to shake and fly off the walls. Roland's body became filled with scratches and strange words that have seemed to have been have carved into him by invisible claws. Roland spoke in tongues in a deep voice, and he began levitating as his body convulsed into deep pain. These happenings prompted the family to bring in a Catholic priest who performed the exorcism ritual over 30 times. 
Roland, who became so strong, even injured the priest several times throughout the ritual. Finally, the rite became successful. The entire hospital heard Roland's anguished cries as demons were said to have left his body. A horrid sulfuric odor hung in the air immediately after. The Smurl family possession. <clears throat> I'm going to take a drink before this one because this one is a little long. And then the next one I have is very long. But it's a finale, so... Um, not the finale of the series, of course. I've only just started. moved into a double block house on Chase Street in West Pittson, Pennsylvania in August 1986. They claimed that the premises was disturbed by a demon that caused loud noises and bad odors, threw their dog into a wall, shook their mattress, pushed one of their daughters down a flight of stairs, and physically and sexually assaulted Jack on several occasions. In 1986, the family brought in a pair of demonologists. Very famous Ed and Lorraine, Ed and Lorraine Warren. According to Ed Warren, the demon that inhabited the Smurls' home was very powerful, and it shook mirrors and furniture after they tried to persuade by leaving, persuaded to leave by playing religious music. Sorry, and praying. Warren claimed he felt a drop in temperature and saw a dark mass form in the home, and the demon once left a message on the mirror telling him to get out. After months of the investigation, Warren alleged that he had a number of audio tapes containing knocking and rapping caused by the demon. Professor Professor Paul Kurtz of State University at New York at Buffalo, and then Chairman of Committee for the Scientific uh, Investigation of the Claims of the Paranormal, that's fucking long, thank you very much for making me read that bullshit, said that the Warrens weren't objective, independent, or impartial investigators, and characterized the Smurls' claims as a hoax, hoax, a charade, a ghost story. Kurtz said that the family's claims were possibly due to delusions, hallucinations, or brain impairment, and advised that they should submit themselves to psychiatric and psychological examinations. Jack Smurl told a newspaper reporter that he had surgery to remove water from his brain in 1983 because he had been experiencing short-term memory loss due to a case of meningitis in his youth. Allentown psychologist Robert Gordon commented that people look at people often look at demonology to explain many tensions that they experience as individuals and within their families. Spokespeople for the Roman Catholic Church Diocese of Scranton said that they were unsure of what me- might be causing the disturbances. Uh, St. Bonaventure University theology professor Alphonsus Trebled. OFM, thank you for making me read that bullshit again, said 
There might be other less demonic explanations. The home was blessed by several priests who said they saw no harmful activity while on the property. Janet Small claimed an unidentified priest performs three unsuccessful exorcisms and that the demon avoided the rites by moving between the double block home and following the family to other locations. In 1986, a priest from the local diocese began to spend two nights at the small home and said nothing unusual happened during his stay there. In 1986, the Smurls told the press they were tired of the constant media bombardment. However, within a few months, they had authored, along with Ed and Lorraine Morton and Scranton newspaper writer Robert Curran, a paperback book version of the story called The Haunted, published by St. Martin's Press. The book was criticized by reviewers such as Wilkes Bar Times leader staff Joseph Marsak, who wrote Robert Curran forsakes the principles of his trade to give readers a one-sided account of what did or didn't occur over several years in Jack and Janet's Merle's former home. Reviewer Mary Beth German wrote that the book was poorly written, adding that it is hard to conceive of a supposedly sophisticated objective, and as far as I know, at least until now, a credible reporter like Curran taking their stories seriously given the complete lack of any empirical or physical evidence to support it. Same year, pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in West Pinson, Reverend Joseph Adonzio, said that the Smurls felt that after intense prayers, things were back to normal. 1987, Janet Smurl told reporters that they, heard, they still heard knocking and saw shadows. After the Smurl family moved to Wilkes Bar, Deborah Owens moved into the former Smurl home, in 1988, told reporters she had never encountered anything supernatural while living there. In 1991, a two-hour made-for-movie titled The Haunted was released by 20th Century Fox, written by Curran, The Warrens, and The Smurls, starring Jeffrey DeMunn as Jack Smurl and Sally Kirkland as Janet Smurl. This is by far... The last, this is the last one and the longest one, so excuse me if I have to take breaks and I'm going to drink my unsponsored drink. Um, if you at any time feel uncomfortable with this, please leave. If you've gotten this far, then I believe you can handle this. Um, give me one second. I'm going to keep drinking because I'm not done. Um, you want a little ASMR real quick to creepy music? Hold on. See, this is one of the joke bits that nobody laughs at because it's not really funny. It's just really weird. Um.
I'm going to butcher the name. So please, forgive me. In the 1800s, we have the chilling story, story of Gottweibling Dittis, a 28-year-old resident of the rural German village of Motlingen, located within the Black Forest. Raised within a strictly Lutheran home, uh, Lutheran family, Dittis had quite an oppressively religious, highly superstitious upbringing. After her parents died in a fire when she was very young, Dittis lived with her siblings and continued to attend services run by a fire and brimstone, almost fanatical pastor and theolog theologian named Joan Christoph Blumhardt. In 1842, the people living near the Dittus home and passerby began to notice strange noises emanating from the house during the dark hours of the night, some of which sounded rather jarring and decidedly violent in nature. Suspecting that there was some sort of abuse going on there, a doctor and some other locals stayed there for a night and witnessed things that they could not explain such as objects or furniture moving on their own, and strange thuds, scrapes, and bangs that seemed to issue forth from the very walls, leading them to the conclusion that the house was haunted. The eerie phenomena continued, and on top of this other strange, and on top of this, other strange things began to happen. Didis began to claim that she was being visited at night by the ghostly apparition of a woman holding a baby in her arms, and she was prone to having sudden blackouts. On one occasion, going into unresponsive trance-like state for an entire day before snapping out of it as if nothing had happened, and with no memory of what had happened. There were whispers around the village that the Didis house was haunted, cursed, or both. Since the paranormal ha activity seemed to be focused most intensely on Gottlebein, she was sent to live with a cousin and the haunting apparently followed her to her new home, leaving the other siblings in peace. The young woman's plight captured the attention of Reverend Blomkart himself, who claimed to visit Gottlebein got Libin and came to the conclusion that she was in fact possessed by a demon after witnessing evidence such as convulsive fits, speaking in different voices, and intense bouts of uncharacteristic cursing and profanity. Her, her siblings also claimed that she would sometimes go into a trance and violently attack them for no reason, after which she would not remember a thing. Blumhardt took it upon himself to take her under take her take take her, her under his care and offer her spiritual support through her terrifying ordeal. And during his regular visits, she confided in him some bizarre information indeed. Gottliebling Fuck Gottliebling 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 claimed that when she had just been an infant, evil spirits had tried to kidnap her, but had been driven away by the power of her mother's protective prayers. And she also insisted that her aunt was a witch. Things 
things progress to the point where an entity allegedly would possess Gutlay Bean to speak with Blumhart directly. During these spooky conversations, the woman would speak in a voice that was not her own, and the spirit claimed to be the one who had visited Gottlieb Bean in the night. She told the pastor that she was a widow who had murdered two people during her life, and that these cruel acts had drawn the devil into her, meaning that the case had become rather curious, become the rather curious situation of the devil possessing a spirit who was in turn possessing a human being. However, this was not the only spirit who was apparently tormenting the poor girl, and more began to make themselves known as the months went on, until eventually there were... Apparently, uh, tormenting the girl, until eventually there were apparently hundreds... Uh, uh, hold on. However... This was not the only spirit who was apparently tormenting the girl, and more began to make themselves known as the months went on. Until, eventually, there are apparently hundreds of them residing within this one young, one young woman. Interestingly, many of these other spirits made the claim as the original, that they were in fact victims of demonic possession as well and some of them claiming to have sought refugee within the woman to try and escape the devil. Alarmed, Blumhart immediately began the ritual of exorcism, which caused an escalation of the strange phenomena surrounding the girl. She became even more violent and unruly, needing to be restrained at times. Her venomous, blasphemous ranting became worse, and she exhibited she exhibited the horrifying habit of vomiting forth sand, glass, nails, and copious amounts of blood. At one point, Gutlay Bean told the pastor that some of the possessed spirits within her had left her body to go run among, among thousands of, way, of miles away where they allegedly caused an earthquake. Bizarrely, news would not come long after that that there had been Indeed, a devastating quake in the West Indies, which Gottlieb Bean could have not possibly known about, which only convert, further convinced Blumhart that the possession was genuine and strengthened his resolve to follow through with the exorcism to the end. The end would be a long time coming. The exhausting exorcism dragged on for nearly two years, with the demon-infested spirits becoming more desperate and violent as the hold on their girl on as their hold on the girl weakened. Some of the spirits purportedly were especially for especially defiant, threatening Blumhart and his family with physical violence and death. According to the account, these spirits actually ejected themselves willingly out of Gottlebine in order to attack her sister, Katharina, who had also beca- uh, become possessed, became possessed much as her sister had been. Blumhart was reportedly able to face off against both possessed women and perhaps realizing that they were no match for the priest. Left the woman one by one, after which Gottlieb Bean supposedly said, Jesus is victor. 
The exorcism made Blumhart into quite a celebrity and almost a hero at the time, and hundreds of people began to flock to his church uh, from all over the surrounding areas to hear his sermons. He did nothing at all to shy away from his newfound popularity, and indeed started making bold claims that he could cast out any spirit at any time and also perform healings. To this end, Blumhart opened a retreat at a thermal spa in 1853, which claimed to be able to cure all manner of illnesses, disabilities, and health conditions. Apparently, Gottlebine joined up with Blumhart to help his cause. In 1850, Blumhart also wrote a book about the harrowing exorcism called Blumhard's Battle. He would continue to run his spa and retreat and perform faith healings on people far and wide until his death in 1880. I'm here to tell you guys thank you so very much for listening to my podcast. I appreciate you and... I have a posting schedule now. I will be posting every other day for a long, long time. There are going, there is going to be different posts. There's going to be many things on here that I can talk about because there's a lot of weird things in this world. (laughs) So, thank you guys for listening to me. Stay creepy. This is Morbid Maddie Podcasts. Goodbye.